Welcome to the Making Things Podcast. In a world that can be far too complicated, we'll take a look into innovators and entrepreneurs that are making things and using technology to make life easier for the rest of us. On episode one of Making Things, we have a wide-ranging conversation with Arjun Patel, co-founder of WorkCloud, about the importance of solving the right problem, honing in on the product and the customer, and a lot more. If you are in the manufacturing space, there will be a lot of valuable information in this podcast for you. Thanks for listening. Hey, Arjun, how's it going? <laughs> it's, it's going great. Uh, how's it going? Now uh, that I got it right this time. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start off a little bit about your background. Um, I know when we had originally connected, you had mentioned that you grew up in a family business. Um, and I was really interested in, uh, in how that kind of shaped you, uh, maybe gave you a little bit different perspective on on manufacturing uh, as to others? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, basically, um, my dad, he, he started a manufacturing plant in 1995. And okay. um, I learned how to operate a forklift before I could ride a bike. <laughs> sure, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, um, I, when he first started, it was just himself. He bought some cheap um, uh, machinery. He went all over the world, uh, like shopping for parts, and then he built right. up the first, like, um, I guess, printing press and die cutting machine because he was in folding carton manufacturing, which is like a specific okay. niche in packaging. And sure. uh, and he ended up um, like just growing every single year. The first two or three years, he stuck. He struggled. I remember, um, like, I remember growing up, we we weren't really like in the best houses we were just like living from apartment to apartment and then um i think uh, but i was really young so i barely remember that uh, I, I think my dad did a really good job in making it feel like uh we had everything so Absolutely. It, uh, he, he made sure we were fed and we were taken care of before anything else but yeah i mean i think the first two or three years of him was just struggling but i remember spending so much time in the factory um even as like a toddler like up until like I was three or four, I just remember just like hanging out in the factory every single um, day um, yeah, after preschool and um, go, going there and seeing him like just spend endless nights building, trying to build a business. And then I think after the, the third year, it started picking up like crazy. He started um, hiring um, like 10 to, I think the team went from like 10 to 20 people in like months at a time. And now it's uh a team of like 250 people and um, he does like over $50 million in revenue and um, he, he grew it to a, a pretty like good sized business for the industry that he's in. And, sure. um, and throughout that whole process, like I was learning like about what actually helped him um, grow faster and faster without like investing in more resources. And it all had to do with like how he positioned his factory, how he positioned his supply chain, how he, how he um, optimized certain improvements, and then, uh, like I, I was, I was just like it was second nature after a while. And uh, when I got into college, I was a plant manager at my dad's facility, and sure. that's when I was like actively like had a responsibility to make sure the productivity was at a certain level, and that got me interested in um, getting into consulting, like management consulting, but for like specifically manufacturing. And I wanted to see not just my dad's factory, but also um, a whole wide range of other factories. So I, I ended up getting a job at this one 
boutique manu- um, management consulting firm. And okay. um, from there, I just started off as an analyst and uh, I slowly grew my way up to, um, to an actual management consultant. And um, that's when I saw like really small businesses trying to um, get their productivity better. And then I saw huge enterprises and aerospace companies and food manufacturing companies and a whole wide variety of like other types of manufacturers within that space. Um, and I saw that what everyone was going through, they had challenges with scale, had challenges with optimizing, like, um, like preventive maintenance was a huge topic and it still is it's a huge topic today. And I, I think, um, a lot of that had to do with like, uh, like one, I think is like culture. Like there's always culture change where everyone sort of passes the buck <laughs> from one person sure. to another. And th- that's why I, I realized back, back then that was in 2014 and uh and one thing that made me uh uh i had an epiphany like as i was going through all these different companies i saw these people uh, they were they were investing in these like really sophisticated systems really expensive i think it was it was like one company had like a two million dollar a year contract with one one erp provider and uh, the implementation time was like three years or something like that. I don't know, something ridiculous. And, uh, and I had this thesis that like, I was looking at all these other consumer startups and how they were taking off and like how it was becoming more mass market as like consumer apps and mobile came into play. And I saw like the whole, the the same thing that consumers, consumer apps are doing to the masses right now. I think, um, consumerization of software towards manufacturers uh, will be a thing, um, going, moving forward. And this is like a thesis I wrote in 2014. And, um, I really, like I was taking my experiences from my dad's experience with software and uh, my experience with software with, um, other types of manufacturers and then like just problems in general. I'm like, this could be an easy problem to solve if you, uh, if you have the adoptability and ease of use at the operate uh, operator level, not like just a manager. And, Absolutely. but I didn't, I didn't think I would be the one actually even tackling it at that time. I, I just thought it was a thesis. I thought this is something that it was going to be trending. And then, um, after that, I, I, I just got out of management consulting. I, I wanted to do my own startup and, uh, I ended up creating the startup called, um, like it's called true flip. It, okay. it, it started off as like a rent to rent model, right? Where you could rent anything from other people. And it was like a mobile app. And um, then it became into like, everyone just wanted to buy, buy things from each other. And, right. and I, I ended up going on in like a two year journey, um, just like trying to tackle that. And it was, there was zero market for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was extremely exhausting because the original model was like, you could rent things from other people in your college. And, uh, and I remember me and my other co-founder, the same co-founder of WorkCloud right now, uh, him and I, like, we just quit our jobs. We, um, just jumped head first. We didn't have anything built. We were like, let's just quit this. We have to go all in. And we ended up just, uh, uh, like this is in 2015. I quit my job. Um, and then, uh, he quit his job. I convinced him we have that same recording of us quitting the job because we thought it was like <laughs> such a prolific moment in entrepreneurship. It's like, oh, quit your jobs, you know, go full in. And we went full in, but we didn't have a product built and we didn't have anything built. And um, 
for like the first six months, we were just validating, which is stupid because we were validating without any, <laughs> any like any income. Yeah. Right. And, and then we just had so much confirmation bias on everything they were doing. Like, oh, uh, people said it was a good idea. Like, let's just like continue investing in it. And then I, I remember like that was uh, that whole entire period where I wasn't making any money was like one of the most stressful times in my life because um, like the lucky thing is like I, we were both living at home at that time. So we didn't have that many expenses. It's like sure. um, the struggle wasn't exactly too real. It, it was just our, our basic living standards were we're taking care of is just like psychologically you feel like what am I doing (laughs) yeah yeah it's draining (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so so, um, we ended up getting creative and figuring out how to um, at least like bootstrap some of our own money Uh, I remember my co-founder and I were like all right how can we make money as quick as possible um, while we're building uh, the startup so like first we started off like selling off tickets like I like I would get all these free Laker tickets because of some of my dad's customers that give it to us and stuff like that. Right. So I would just pawn, pawn off those uh, Laker tickets for like $800 or $900, right? right. <laughs> and and I'd go on Craigslist and that'd just be like a monthly occurrence. And I'm like, okay, that's like, like at least the minimum amount we can use. And we didn't feel like uh, too bad about not making money. And then after a while, like when Laker season wasn't there anymore, we were like, oh shit, what else do we do? <laughs> like, right, like we, we right. have like, three or four months where we can't make any revenue right now. And the product still hasn't been built. Like it, it was just an exhausting, long winded process to actually make the initial product of our first startup. And we, we ended up, uh, I had this bright idea where like, I'm, I'm Indian. So, um, I had a lot of Indian clothes and I, my co-founder is Chinese and uh, I gave him a bunch of my Indian clothes and stuff like that. And then we posted it on Craigslist and like a few other websites that um, we're hosting meditation classes. It's a serene, authentic experience. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 and like we posted that up and then we ended up getting like bookings like like at least once a week. <laughs> People would pay $50 <laughs> per, per head to do meditation classes from uh, myself and my other co-founder. And um, it, it was just, it, it, yeah. And like that was just like a quick way that we made money. And in retrospect, maybe we should have pursued that business, you know? Like right. at, home class, at home classes, like a, a group on like what Airbnb experiences came became. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, so we we um, uh, we did that for around two years, and um, we ended up testing it in uh, my alma mater, which is UCR, and um, it, it it got a ton of signups and, and like growth, but then the retention was like almost zero, and people we got feedback saying like, oh, we should. Um, we should go more into like renting or buy and sell. And we were like, all right, let's do buy and sell. And then we made um, uh, another app called TrueFlip where um, you buy and sell from each other, but we'll be the courier. So if you had something to sell, we would be able to be the ones that pick you up and, and drop it off. But um, yeah, but it it, it was a stupid idea because the unit economics didn't make sense. Like we got a lot of signups, but Um, like just driving from one place to the other, especially in LA, which has the most traffic out of all the United States <laughs> right. Right? in one area. It was, it was a stupid idea, but like we, we still did it. We did that for like the second half of the two years. I was uh, pretty much an entrepreneur uh, at that point. Unemployed. Another way of saying unemployed. <laughs> uh, so so uh, we, we ended up just... Uh, um, we, Brian and I, like Brian's my other co-founder, and, um, 
we ended up doing like a thousand deliveries or something <laughs> like that's crazy that is yeah crazy. like by, by the end of it and like like my car was just completely wrecked from like all the mileage <laughs> i was doing uh like we were just going back and forth but then we ended up just like closing it down because i was like this is too much and then i ended up um going back to work uh, all of us ended up going back to work uh, after that whole process so we learned a lot okay. of other lessons like to validate first before you dive deep into like creating the product and then um, also like consistently validate until um, like until something sticks. Uh, right. I, I think um, we took it more as like a waterfall approach. Like we were saying, okay, we just need to build all these features and then we can launch it. And like, that was like absolutely the wrong approach. Right. Yeah, build it and they'll come, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, typical uh, entrepreneur, uh, like wannabe entrepreneur, <laughs> I, I guess, <laughs> mantra. But yeah, so basically uh, I got back into work and I started getting heavily invested into like product management and growth. And I had a bu I, I released a bunch of case studies on um, how to approach growth and even went through this program called Reforge. It's a okay. San Francisco based um, like uh, growth program uh, hosted by uh, Andrew Chen, the okay. head of growth at Uber, and then um, Brian Balfour, the the VP of growth at HubSpot. And um, I met a ton of people there, learned a lot, and um, applied that to uh, the job I was working at at that time, which had to deal with software and manufacturing itself, but more on the maintenance okay. side. And uh, from there, like I learned how to actually um, hone in on my growth skills, hone in on my sales skills, hone in on like marketing skills revolved around like, um, like an older industry. Uh, yep. And um, then I ended up working for Ticketmaster uh, okay. as like a product manager of growth as well. And um, that's when I started to apply to, that's when I applied to YC um, uh, right before I, 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 got, I got my job at Ticketmaster. Um, okay. yeah, but before that, like, I think, um, in retrospect, going back to like manufacturing, like, um, throughout the time I was doing my first startup, I was thinking about like the problems that my dad was facing back then. And I always thought, thought of it back in my idea. I'm like, maybe there's an opportunity to actually tackle this because every year I would check up on the, on the status of like manufacturing software. Right. And, yeah. um, the problems in manufacturing and like, um, I was looking at the U.S. Department um, or the Labor of um, the the sorry um, the U.S. Labor of Statistics, um, okay, uh, and I saw that uh, in a lot of the manufacturing industries, like um, they're growing, like the number of establishments or companies were growing, but the level of output from each manufacturer was declining, and I was just like, uh, yeah, I, like I have a report. Um, I could even send to you after this, but then yeah, basically, yeah, have to do that. basically I, I saw that like every, almost every category of manufacturing, like the output was declining, even though the rate of establishments were increasing. And I was thinking like, okay, like this is exactly why software was built to help optimize the output. Right. And like, if there's so much software out there uh, tackling um, efficiency, productivity, um, out and like creating better output why is it still on like a declining uh declining trajectory for most of these categories and so every year i would look and i always had like i took notes on 
um, each category, each industry. And, uh, and I always had like wireframes back in my mind. I'm like, okay, like maybe I should just um, figure out like what my dad's problems are. Right. So as I was building my startup and as I was working in my old company and um, like even at Ticketmaster, I was like looking at what my dad was doing and seeing that um, he he desperately needed a software solution. They tried investing in software solutions before, like SAP, NetSuite, um, yes. uh, like one of the common ones, more common ones. And um, it was just like too expensive for him to justify. Um, yeah. And the implementation time was taking a long time. Like, um, I remember I went back in the factory and he was trying to implement something. And I was like, how long have you been trying to implement this? And he's like, it's been like two and a half years now. And I was like, how much did you pay? He's like, oh a, a quarter of a million dollars uh, to start. And then it's a 50K maintenance fee. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, like that that shouldn't be the case. So I, I told him to cancel the contract. Like, we're not going to do this. Like, I like that's when I finally like this is back in like this is like I think mid summer last year, right? Okay. Um, and I, I told him let's just cancel everything. Um, I'm gonna build something with you with uh, my old co-founders. So we we just did a quick MVP. Um, we built the uh, bare functionalities of like what software um, uh, of like basic ERP software. That's what we we said we were going to just create an ERP software for him. Um, yep. But then we, at last minute, we ended up adding this scheduling module in the MVP. And we're like, okay, maybe if like scheduling gets better optimized, it would create better output. And that was like our theory. And it ended up, that was, that was the best thing to happen to us. Uh, when right. it was like, that's the one thing that actually increased the output. Everything else was just data management, not necessarily thinking of a calculation of how to, run the most optimal schedule and um, when you should run the jobs and when you shouldn't run the jobs. And right. that's what we figured out really early. And like within one month after implementing my dad's MVP, um, it increases output by 20%. And we were like, wow, we, we have something here. And then we applied to YC. Um, I, I didn't really think I was going to get in. I just like, we just had an MVP essentially. Yeah. And, and then, uh, we applied uh, back in October and we ended up getting an interview request at the end of the month and I was freaking out. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, oh, we're going to get it. But then this, this was like my third time applying to YC. But this is a brand, brand new idea, but it was my third time applying to YC. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Uh, I'll right. just like keep on working this like as a project for my dad. Um, and, and then we ended up... Um, getting the interview and in December uh, I quit my job and then we went for the interview and we ended up uh, getting in <laughs> after the interview, the most stressful interview experience I've ever had. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, that was like a long winded answer of uh, what my background was um, or like a brief overview of what my background was and like how I got into WorkClout and why I created WorkClout in the beginning. It was mainly for my dad, and then it, it became some into something else. Awesome. So, uh, what where was your education at then? Um, I went to school at uh, like uh, UCR, which is University of California Riverside. Um, okay. Yeah, and 
the funny thing about getting that school, like I appreciate um, going to there. I learned why I met like my co one of my co-founders is from, uh, was my roommate there. Um, yeah. But it's tr traditionally known as like a non-target school. Like I remember when I was applying to a bunch of management consulting places, I'd get rejected be just because I was from that school, not because of any other factor. Right. And I had a really good GPA too. And um, that was like one of the requirements, but they said, oh, this is a non-target school. Like uh, we don't really recruit from here. <clears throat> And um, uh, so I always felt like I had a chip on my shoulder. And Absolutely. Um, I, I think that's why I like entrepreneurship so much because like, uh, I feel like I always have something to prove. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Hey, yep. Yeah. So, uh, but I did study, like I had a minor in statistics and then I majored in information systems. Um, we, we covered a lot of ERP softwares back when I was in college. Okay. And um, it's funny, like they're still like pressing us on like, waterfall because <laughs> some of the professors <laughs> like worked for erps before and they're like oh waterfall is the best way i was just like i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> i tried it <laughs> yeah yeah so um uh so that was like my background and like it is really relevant to what i'm doing now not really relevant to my other startup uh so that's why i feel like this startup has been a lot uh easier for me to um, get my head around and execute because I, I I've grown up in this space for all my life and then like everything I studied and everything I like I positioned myself towards has been mainly for um, optimizing like the production floor sure and I, I think it's like a personal problem for me too just because um, I see my dad he, he, he got really successful for what he had and he did mostly everything paperless for the most of his uh, manufacturing career right or a paper with paper, not paperless. Um, and uh, I, I think he could have like doubled or tripled his revenue if, if he had a system earlier. Right. So I, I know, I know you mentioned earlier uh, that originally it was, you, you thought the ERP part of it was going to be, was going to be the big thing. Do, yeah. Does it still have that functionality, your software? Um, so what we really focus on is just like, specifically around like capacity planning and okay. uh, and production scheduling so i feel okay. like we we degraded a lot of the erp functionalities aspect of it and we um found uh, a market where um we're like the aggregate of like all the systems that you have like whether you have an mrp or an erp or even like a drp um, sure uh we're at the center of it aggregating all the data from all the systems and figuring out like what are the inputs that actually correlate to better um, output, uh, and sure. I think that's essentially what we've created. So we we don't really replace ERP. What we really do is fit in the center of your manufacturing tech uh, tech um, uh, I guess like flow, essentially. Right. Uh, well, so what what are some of the things that you've uh you've changed or, or learned since you started YC? Uh, so I, I think the whole YC process, what it really teaches you, teaches you, it teaches you two things. Only focus on product and getting customers. Okay. Uh, uh, that, that, that's what I feel like is also the most important because I remember um, when we first started our, our first startup, um, we were doing like a hundred different things and we really didn't really think to ourselves like, is this gonna, move the business forward and there's only two things especially in the early stages that move a company forward um and this is what yc really like 
hones in on and bashes you on the head with saying, <laughs> get customers that will pay you or love you and build the product so it actually fits their needs, right? So um, the only thing that we focus on is like, we have three co-founders, uh, myself, uh, Brian, and Richard. Brian does like okay. UX and product management and um, he does a design of everything and um, gets all the wireframes out and everything like that. And um, Richard, he handles all the tech. He's our CTO. Um, so Brian, uh, Richard was focusing um, on the tech, but he's also helping out with sales, right? He was like, I, was, I would say he's our best salesperson uh, just because he's, he's very eloquent and he already knows the tech from like in and out, right? Um, so, so for me, it's like my, my main responsibility during YC was just like trying to get as many customers as I can. And, and Brian was like helping with that initiatives on both, both aspect on tech and on sales as well. Um, so while Richard was building up the product, I was trying to, uh, Brian and I were trying to build up the pipeline. I would like, I remember I would cold message and cold call people like every single day. I, I think I did in the beginning, I was like really nervous. I did like 10 calls the first day and I was like, oh, I think that's good enough. And then um, I realized like I'm not doing enough. And uh, by the end of YC, I was doing hundred calls a day uh, trying wow. to, trying to get every, like, like get our name out there and trying to at least build the, the initial pipeline of everything. And then at the same time, figuring out what marketing channels would actually help us uh, grow um, faster as well. Right. What, what's been uh, the, the top uh, mar marketing platform for you thus far? I, I think, I think like review sites really help a lot. Like, um, and, and, it, like it's I feel like manufacturing um, the way you approach manufacturing is a lot different than how you you'd approach like any other type of software like Salesforce is probably um, a lot different in terms of strategy than how you approach like how like because like most people I, I would I would feel like most people in manufacturing at least from my experience um, they're traditionally only using a few sites like Google is like what they probably refer to the most um, so the way I think about it is like all right, how are people finding, how, how do people consume information and like look for things, right? Like, and is it even a need, right? Um, so what I'm looking at is like, what's the natural flow of like, what type of user, right? Is it the operations manager? Is it the COO? Is it the CFO? Is it the owner? Um, and uh, where, what is the easiest path to least resistance, right? Uh, Absolutely. So, so I feel like Google, um, the reason why review sites work well with Google, um, I, I guess it, the reason why uh, review sites work well is because it ranks number one on Google, right? And that's like the first place manufacturers look for is like, that's what anyone looks for for a solution, right? They go on Google first. Um, yep. Or um, if you're verticalizing in a specific industry, so let's say if you're in like packaging or fabric, um, metal manufacturing or something like that, right? Uh, if if you get like one person in, you could ask them to refer you to three more people, and they would ask three more. So word of mouth and um, Google, like it's very traditional in terms of how you attract customers, and like that's one thing that we're going through right now is figuring out how um, to innovate in terms of customer acquisition for this space. Like, what else can we do besides these traditional channels? So like that's the fifty percent of like what's working. And now we're experimenting with like 50%. That's, that's like something that's unknown and we're just running like 
four to five experiments a week to see what actually right. gains traction. And absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, and that's what we're going through right now. And I would say, like anyone that's trying to go through YC, um, I'd I'd apply with some something that they're like personally involved with, right? Uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to. Uh, I feel like it, it's hard to really uh, um, align with a problem if you haven't personally experienced it, or if you're not connected somehow on that experience. Um, right. And then during YC, it's just two things: product development and getting customers, and that's it. Right. <laughs> you won't forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. How has your perspective shift shifted? Uh, I know you've you've worked for yourself, worked for other companies. Um, are there any ideals or things that you thought while you were at companies that your per- perspective has changed a little bit, and you're like, oh, this is maybe why they did things this way, or or anything like that? Yeah, I, I think um, like working at a startup is going to be completely different than working at like a big corporation. Sure. That's just like. A- a vague blanket statement I just had right there, but then, uh, right. <laughs> uh, but like in a startup, I realized, like, I remember I, I used to be uncomfortable with this, like, uh, um, <clears throat> shipping like an EVP, what that means is like, uh, exceptional, uh, valuable product. Um, like we always hear the term MVP, which is like a minimal viable product, but, yeah. um, um, EVP is like something that's like good enough that's still better than what's out there, right? Um, yep. And in startups, that's what you have to keep on shipping out. It's like products that aren't full-fledged or feature-rich. Um, it's just like, what's the core path, the critical path that would add value in like at least a net positive way? Even if net positive is like 0.01 above what's standard, right? Uh, so sure. so, <clears throat> uh, so um, that, that was the part I was uncomfortable, I was like, oh, this feature is not like completely built out. But then the reason why they do that is just to get to the next stage of their company. If they, if they, if they just release things like full fledged every time they'd probably die. Like you can't, right. you can't iterate on it. You can't get feedback on it. So uh, I think uh, shipping EVPs is, um, is something I, I really learned from like my startup experience and then from corporations. They have like the opposite problem. <laughs> right. That right. they they take like um, a year or two to release like really big features, and um, you're dealing with like 20 different stakeholders. Like especially if you're a product manager, you have like um, I think like at least 10 people involved with everything that you're doing. Right. And e- each one of them might not be aligned on like how what they want out of the experience, and um. This is actually helping me with my sales is setting expectations from the get-go and getting the parties involved before you even start the project. Um, and so you could at least move back fast and take that concept of EVP into a corporate setting. And uh, that helps with sales too, because like usually when you go through the sales process, especially with manufacturers, they want one software that solves everything. And right. when they do that, it, it complicates a lot of things. It complicates their switchover, it complicates their implementation, it complicates their whole entire process. And also um, it makes it unprofitable unprofitable for both parties, both the vendor and both the manufacturer. Um, 
because they're dealing with a lot of custom work. And I think you have to set the expectation of like, the software is really good at this one thing. If you try to be good at everything, you're going to get an average experience all around. So you want to make sure that you're getting, you're like mix and matching the vendors. That's why I think integrations is the most important thing in manufacturing is yep. uh, the, the ability to add multiple vendors um, together and um, making sure you're choosing vendors that will nice with each other, whereas uh, some systems are closed, right? What we try to do is make an open system. So if you use existing software or if you're using like, if we end up did coming at ERP, we would still want to make it open where you could still use certain modules and different sure. aspects and connect it to each other. Um, yeah. so, so, so when I'm setting the sales expectations, I'm saying, I'm trying to tell them like, let's just solve your critical path problem and see how much of an impact it actually makes before investing in like all these different things that you might use once or twice. Right. Absolutely. So how, how has that uh, implementation went um, so far for you? Um, so far, uh, implementation has been great. I, I think uh, yeah, I think one thing that um, we do well uh, than uh, better than other other types of vendors is um, we try to implement you as fast as we can, um, and yep. we keep we try to keep it under thirty days, right, to get you going. Wow. Okay. Converted. Um, because we know, like every every month that you're not you're not doing the switchover, uh, you're gonna be wasting money, talent, and it, the project might fail. Like I, I read, uh, I think Bain uh, Bain uh, and company did a report on like like both lean manufacturing implementations and ERP implementations, and I think like around like like what sixty five percent end up failing or something like that. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I, and it's because the implementation process is too convoluted and you need to be able to really hone in on like what are the milestones you plan to achieve at, like within the first 30 days. And like right. milestone that we try to achieve is like, let's get everyone just using it. Like let's not focus on production output or anything. Let's just get everyone using it and right. then optimize from there. And then that way it's like, it's easier. It's an easier pill to swallow for, um, like the production managers, the operators. Yep. Um, everyone is used, using it in the most simplest form, and then um, you're adding on top of that. Right, and that that kind of goes back to uh, to your what 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 you said before of just kind of getting things out there, get it out there early, and and get feedback from them, and it, yeah. it makes can make your life a whole lot easier. Yeah, I mean, that's what, um, that's what YC teaches us too. I think that's why they say like, just sell whatever you have and then get feedback in the beginning. Right. Stages. But then, and that's something that we learned like in the very beginning too, is like we try to build um, really fast feature sets and we ended up just like failing um, miserably when we were testing it out in the prototype stage. They we were like, oh my God, this is not work at all. Uh, right. So, so going back to the draw, we had to go back to the drawing board and get everything um, hashed out. Right. That way. So, uh, so you you talk about that and things not working. Do you have a a favorite favorite failure or or something that really stands out to you since you've started WorkClout? <laughs> um, yeah. Let me think about this. There's been plenty, <laughs> trust me. Plenty? <laughs> um, there's been plenty, but uh, every, every month's a learning lesson. 
Um, right. I think one, one thing, uh, one retrospective that we had right when we closed our funding round was, uh, this, this is more organizational than like um, software related. Uh, one thing, uh, right when we got our funding round, we were like, oh, we have to hire for this position, hire for this position, hire for this position. And <clears throat> we, we were interviewing like 20 people um, uh, for like 10 positions. Um, like the first day we got our funding around and closed and we were like, oh yeah, we need all these people to execute right now. And um, as we were going through that whole like process, we, were, we hired some people and we were like, oh, they're not a good fit. We rushed, we rushed the hiring process and we burned a lot of money doing, doing this. And we burned a whole month on just like hiring. And we realized like we honestly only needed a few hires that focus on more on the product level. Um, okay. in, in the beginning stages and then, um, and, and until, like, I think one important lesson that we've learned is like, we're just trying to do everything with, and throwing bodies at the problem, um, and expecting the bodies and the people that we bring in to solve, um, the, the unknowns that we didn't have yet. Like we didn't have a repeatable sales cycle. We didn't have a repeatable, um, uh, like, I, I guess like repeatable processes in place. So when people came on, they were confused on what to do because we were confused on what to do because there's no problem. <laughs> right. And, and we realized in retrospect, like you should only hire if you already have a repeatable process, unless it's like, like actually it could apply to all cases. Even if you're hiring like a, a senior VP or something like that, I think um, having some sort of existing process um, is still necessary to to bring on um, people who are smarter than you to actually solve bigger challenges and optimize on the pro problem right. in the process. So I think like one of the biggest mistakes is like hiring too much, too fast. <laughs> but right. uh, I think now we know moving forward on like what we look for into, into hiring and like how we should hire as well. Absolutely. So, uh, what another question I'm looking here that I had is, uh, what what would you tell someone uh, is the biggest differentiator between what you guys do and what others in your market do? I would say um, one of the biggest things is like this is a very hard problem. It took us a while to figure this out too. We had to get outside help as well. Uh, sure. So I would think our bread and butter is always going to be scheduling. Yep. Um, scheduling. I think we have the best scheduling system in the market. I'm not just saying that. I think before we didn't have a good scheduling system. <laughs> it, it right. To to take in all those constraints and um, uh, to actually produce something. So we brought in uh, a really smart PhD um, who wrote a bunch of uh, theses on production scheduling, and he did his master's in production scheduling, and he was a systems engineer. Engineer, and when he got his PhD, he he did a lot of thesis on scheduling as well. And um, so he worked with a lot of our engineers and our CTO to figure out the best type of algorithm to take in constraints such as labor, inventory, time, and like the, the subcategories of all, all those three categories into consideration. So it actually does um, come out with the most optimal out, uh, outcome. And right. I, think beside, I think besides that, um, like there is the theory of like, getting the constraints into consideration and scheduling them out and taking every single uh, constraint into consideration, but then 
if you did that every time, uh, then the system would be really slow. So what you have to really do is figure out correlation between um, the weights of like what's actually impacting production. So, right. so that's like the first aspect of what's the biggest differentiator between us and other systems is we really refine the scheduling and we took a more academic approach to it versus just like a straight software solution to it. Very cool. And then the second part, as I think it's like most, I think a lot of systems, I, I'm not sure about like newer systems. I feel like newer systems are getting better at this, but I know older systems, they have very strict rules on what you could do and what you can't do. And um, they write it statically. And what, one thing that we wanted to do really well was make it very, very flexible. So it, it configures to your workflow. And, right. and then we take in the constraints instead of saying, this is the law of the land, this is how you should do it. And, and that's it. Because like every manufacturer is going to be a different process. And I think that's why like manufacturers worry about what vendors to choose. Um, because it might not be relevant to their industry. And sure. we like, I had a cognition of this back when I was a consultant on like how, how we how software should approach, uh, approach customized industries, right? Like every industry might have, um, like e even like, even my dad's industry, right? He's in packaging and printing industry, yep. um, the same type of like folding carton manufacturers have different processes within the same industry and it's the same yeah. it's the same exact product that they're producing so i was uh, like it's always baffling to to see like when you're like oh this is a solution that fits one fits size fits all because half the time it's not it's they're gonna do custom stuff for you to make make it work for you and we wanted to build it where like where it's like dynamic on our end absolutely yeah i think that's i think that's a huge advantage for you guys uh, so that that's pretty much all I got for questions. I, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I mean, um, uh, not much. I felt like I talked a lot, <laughs> um, and you probably have lots at it. But uh, uh, maybe some like closing words uh, for me is um, depending on like who your audience is. Like, uh, is it more manufacturers or is it more people trying to start their own startup? Um, uh, I have like two different closing messages for each right. one of those. <laughs> right. Uh, well, let's hear one for both. Okay. Um, so I'll go for like startups first. People are trying to, people trying to start their own startup. Um, I think like always validate before you start anything. I think I learned that the hard way and spent a lot of time and money um, uh, not validating. Um, one thing uh, I see a lot of people do, they have this confirmation bias meaning like they'll have a hypothesis saying like, oh, I think this will work because of, of this. And this person I asked, these like 10 people I asked said it would be a good idea. And that's how they validate and start, right? And <clears throat> I know I, I started off that way in my first startup. Uh, so I think the best way to approach it is like really look at the problem that you're trying to solve and Absolutely. not worry about the solution, right? Like, for instance, like if there's a problem, um, like if the problem is like, oh, not enough people eat in the world and you just say like, oh, I think software could change that. Um, it might not be the case. You might think about like, maybe you just need a food kitchen, right? right. That, 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 that could be a solution. So you have to really look at the problem. Like what's the problem? Like uh, people are hungry and then write out your list of solutions that could tackle the problem. 
and um, not constrain yourself into one solution because that's a solution driven approach and those tend to be like the startups that end up failing right and um uh, so i guess like to put it briefly validate first and then execute absolutely uh, and then this one's for manufacturing like um manufacturers i i think we're getting into a world where everything's going to be digitized. And I know, uh, especially a lot of smaller manufacturers are, they're working towards getting into investing in, in software, but I think it's going to like future manufacturing is going to be a lot different. And yep. the best way to prepare for it is like making sure that, um, even if you're not using software, maybe you just want to, um, like use like techniques such as lean manufacturing, et cetera. Um, I, I would just say be cognizant of market trends and try to act um, quicker and right. not uh, uh, not just wait for uh, things to happen. And um, I, my dad's gone through that too because in the beginning he just waited for things to happen and wasn't proactive about um, certain trends and that stalled the business for a bit. And then when he actually invested in like <clears throat> how to like apply like um, high juncta, which is just yep. load balancing, um, uh, like his output got higher too. Right. Uh, right. so I think it's applying techniques, um, uh, like as soon as possible rather than waiting like two or three months because someone's going on vacation or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Being proactive. Yeah. Being proactive. So I, I'd say that's the, the, my advice for manufacturing. Alrighty. Uh, do, do you have a, a question, something that you've been you've been thinking about lately that you'd like to ask those who might be might be out there listening? Yeah, um, I would say. Uh, let's see. I have a few questions. Um, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, okay, I have I have a good one. So um, I, I know I, you've had you have experience in manufacturing too, like. So where do you where do you see like the state of manufacturing going towards, like in any area? This is a very open-ended question for reason and vague, but in any area. Right. Uh, for for me, I think that uh, what one of the things that um, really I I noticed about you was was the software aspect because that's something that I, I've thought for a while too is. Uh, it seems like all the all these other industries are are moving towards software. Um, mm -hmm. but a lot of the manufacturing I've worked in seems to be a little bit lagging, um, <laughs> in that aspect. So, uh, that's why I, I think what you guys are doing is, is really cool. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to see, see, uh, how, how that goes for you in the, for, or in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say is like one of your biggest challenges that you face on like a day-to-day -day basis? Like, I, I think that. Um, like you had mentioned earlier, is just always focusing on what is the problem I'm trying to solve. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that that can always be applied. Um, and just just being diligent, making sure that you're that you're spending your time where you should be spending your time. Um, yeah. And I know you had talked about that earlier. Of uh, in some of your your first startups, you spend all this time uh, trying to add features, do all these things. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes it you don't always think about it right away, but you look back and you're like, what are we, what are we trying to do here? Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I think, I think that asking yourself that, um, 
is something I'm always always trying to get better at because I don't think you can ever get too good at solving the right problems. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of times just uh, just getting to the problem is half the battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like myself, like myself and my other um, co-founders and my other employees, like they always, uh, like I think we all sort of try to remind ourselves like what the problem is. And sometimes we get lost too. Like I, I see myself working on things that don't impact the company in any way, right? right. Or impact right. like even help me learn or anything like that. And I'm like, what am I doing? And, uh, <laughs> and then that's what motivated me to actually like write down the problem and like how we're how we're solving it and like what well, what are um what well, what are the most important things in the form of like OKRs, um, objectives and key results. It's like a goal setting system that helps you quantify uh, what you're doing and uh, also um, makes you align cross-functionally not just like within what you're doing and within your department but also cross-functionally in multiple departments so you guys are all aligned on uh, pursuing one specific goal remembering the problem in mind right absolutely um, yeah it one book i really recommend uh, is Exponential Organizations. Okay. Uh, it was a book uh, written in 2014, but it's it, it's about like um, the future of the organization, like um, how a lot of companies in the early 2000s took advantage of this term called like the scale. It's an acronym, but like it's, it's a stupid acronym called scale. But then um, what the acronym, acronym means uh, is is like really insightful. It has to do with um, how organizations not just from uh not just from uh <clears throat> like a leadership perspective but also like an employee's perspective of like what we can do to actually increase um like our career trajectory and also our organizational trajectory as well absolutely I'm losing my voice <laughs> <laughs> all righty uh, um yeah well i i appreciate you uh taking the time to to talk to us today um where can people learn more about you if they're interested in, in you or work cloud or other things you're working on um i they could find me uh probably on my linkedin or um if you okay. email me at arjun at workcloud.com uh you could probably find me um and ask me any questions that you may have and i'm happy to to respond i usually respond to any one of my questions anyway any anyone that reaches out um, awesome. But, yeah. And now, sorry, I have one more book to recommend. The Phoenix okay. Project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, this book is called The Phoenix Project. It's, uh, it's um, really an interesting read. It's based off of an old manufacturing book called The Goal. Um, so okay. it's just like a, yeah, uh, yeah, The Goal is a really good book, right? Um, so this one's ca called The Phoenix Project, and it takes a lot of references from The Goal and applies it to like uh, it's like a more modern version of the goal, basically. Right. Very cool. I'll have to check those yeah. out. Yeah. Um, thanks so much, Nick, for having me. I, I appreciate this. Um, and yeah, I, I think it was, a, it was a great conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was happy to, happy to learn more and uh, look forward to hearing from you in the future. Yeah, yeah. Let's give me a touch. Alrighty. Thanks, Arjun. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Making Things podcast. If you found this helpful in any way, 
I would love if you would leave a comment, like, or DM me and let me know what you thought. See you next time.